welcome to another fabulous episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And uh, not Billy this week. He could not make it. We've already kind of been behind on our schedule, so we figured we'd just plow ahead without him, and that's okay. He'll be back on a future show. Uh, but we are going to cover a patron request for Clash at Demon Head for the Nintendo. But before we get into that, it's been a few weeks, Jeremy. What have you been playing since our last show? Well, I think it was the last episode where someone asked if we were going to end up uh, getting a PS5, and I think all of us said no, because, you know, it's kind of impossible to get. Uh, I ended up with a PS5. Nice somehow. job. <laughs> uh, it was definitely one of those right time, right place things. I didn't pre-order it. I didn't really try to look for it, because like I said, you know, it's kind of impossible to find. And I was actually getting a uh, doing an uh, in-store pickup at Best Buy for something else that I was grabbing, went in there and I just saw a PS5 sitting back behind the counter. And I, the guy that was checking me out, he was like, you know, or I said, you know, hey, you know, I'll take that PS5 off your hands, just kind of joking around with him. And uh, he said, you want it? And that was not the response that I thought I was going to get. <laughs> and I, I, so I was like, uh, I mean, is it really for sale? And he's like, yeah, I guess some guy had bought it online because you couldn't actually buy it in store when it came out. Uh, you can only do online orders or pre-orders and stuff like that. And I guess this guy had just, he had gotten and, and he returned it in store and they didn't really know what to do with it because they didn't even have a place for PS5s out on the floor yet. So I grabbed it and I, I have a PS5. Uh, I did, it's one of those things I did not expect to have before uh, February of next year. So, so far it's, uh, it's a really nice system. I think the controller is awesome. I'm sure everybody's kind of heard about all the neat little things that the controller does, and it certainly does do those things. Uh, the haptics are really neat. Uh, they didn't quite blow me away as, as much as everybody else seems to be blown away by them, but it is, once you kind of forget about them and you just, it's, it's doing them like you can, like when you walk across a surface or something, the controller kind of simulates what it's like to walk across that surface or having air blown against you or, or like rain coming down. You can kind of feel the droplets hitting the controller. Um, it's really neat. And it does a really great job when you're not paying attention to it because it's so subtle sometimes of just kind of drawing you in. And it's like, oh, I can kind of feel this. Um, the the triggers, you know, the, the way they do, the triggers can be resistive now. So, like, they can um, make it to where, like, when you pull it in, it can resist, like, against your finger. That's pretty And the badass. first time, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. And the first time it happened, I thought my controller was broken. Because I didn't realize they could put that much resistance against it. I thought it would just be kind of a little bit. And you'd feel it and they'd be like, oh, wow, it's like I'm pulling a bow and arrow. But no, they can actually do it to where it stops. Like you cannot pull it any further. So that was, <laughs> when that happened, I was like, wow, I didn't realize you could actually do this on this controller. And, and for the games that do it well, it, it adds a lot to it. So, yeah, I've, I've been playing around with the PS5. I got Demon Souls. Like, I was going to ask. Really that's, good. that's what I was going to... The only thing I wanted at launch is that. So Yeah, and it is really, really good. It is one of the best remakes I've ever seen. I've seen some people out there that are just like, they just didn't stick with the style, or it doesn't feel like, you know, they don't have the piss filter from the PS3 version or something. <laughs> uh, no, it does not look brown and gold and glowy and everything's blown the fuck out like that original PS3 game did. And if you like that, then I'm sorry. That's not what this game looks like. This looks like a modern game. And it, it still looks really, really good. It runs really well, and it's it's got these little, these nice little things, uh, quality of life improvements over the original, but it, it is very, very... It, it, is the, it is Demon's Souls, for better or worse. 
So it, it's just a really great remake remake of that game. I've also been playing Bug Snacks. Oh, this is something that's also on PS4 as well as PS5. I don't know. Have you heard of Have, have you heard of Bug Snacks? All I've heard is the song. Like everyone's all yeah. excited about the song, and that, that's all I know about Bug Snacks. Well, so far that's the best thing about Bug Snacks. <laughs> uh, you know, it is very much a a weird love child of Pokemon Snap and Pokemon and an adventure game. So like, it's got that that concept of you going around this island into these various zones of like desert ice and stuff like that. You've got your camera and there are these bug snacks everywhere. They are little bugs that resemble food. So like you are supposed to take pictures of them, document them. And then you also have like a trap that you can catch them like Pokemon style, but they're not as simple as just laying down a trap. Sometimes you have to figure out what you need to do. You know, you need to lure them out or you need to, uh, hit this other bug snack to make him chase this other bug snack so it run, runs into this thing so it can run into your trap and you can finally catch it. So there's this whole thing of like figuring out how to catch all of these. It's actually pretty fun. I really like that aspect of the game. Uh, the part I don't like is the are the uh, Dollar General Muppets that populate this game. Uh, they are like kind of the characters, the story behind the game. And they're just, they're like the worst Stereotype, stereotypical family members that you never want to hang around. It's like they've all got problems. They're all super depressing or they're just people you would never want to be around at all. And that, I know that sounds really weird. That doesn't sound like the game that I just described where there's bugs that are food that you're trying to catch and now you have <laughs> Muppets that have these really depressing life issues that you have to kind of get through and solve and stuff. And I think that's where this game kind of loses me. These, these two, this Venn diagram is, is not intersecting at all. So, you know, you're out there trying to catch your, your bug that's shaped like a cheeseburger and it's running around, you know, saying cheeseburger, 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 whatever its fucking name is. And you're trying to catch it with your, your fucking Looney Tunes trap and, and figure out what you're doing. Cause you're shooting fucking ketchup out of your, your, uh, slingshot to lure it over towards the, uh, the the one that's shaped like a shish kebab. And that's all great, and it's stupid, and it's weird. And then the first thing that happens whenever you go back to town, you see this fucking depressed Muppet, and he's like, my wife had an abortion. And it's just like, this is not, this. what is this doing in this fucking game? Like, this, this is such <laughs> a different tone from what it was just a few minutes ago. So it, it but yeah, it's like half the game is trying to fix these these horrible generic dollar store Muppets their lives and all these problems that it had that they have and it's just i don't i don't want to every time it, it makes you do these long drawn out story things of where you have to talk to them i just i'm done um but you know if, if you can get past that and deal with uh the rest of the game which is it seems like it's actually really fun i enjoyed you know the whole trying to figure out how to capture the bug snacks and, and do that uh, i think it could be pretty fun i just i, I couldn't get past these these depressed ass muppets well, I did uh, follow through with me not getting a PS5. Uh, not surprising. I did not look for one. Uh, even if I found one, I wouldn't have bought one, as I'm currently still in between jobs. So I've been filling my time by streaming more on Twitch at JP Retrovaniacs. I know I've talked before about how I was playing Castlevania 64, and I finally finished it. I finished it on the N64, not emulated, so I couldn't use save states for anything else. And I'll tell you, not worth the effort uh, for 
<laughs> for the later part of the game. Uh, that's I, I I didn't hate it. It was fun to play, and I think it was fun for people to watch me suck at it. So that was cool. Now I'm playing Seaman on it. I'm playing through Seaman. Uh, unfortunately, my first attempt at Seaman somehow ended with Seaman dying two weeks in. So I've restarted. Uh, <laughs> and oh, it's the worst. Doing that every day. I don't know how I messed up. I have no idea. I fed him every day. I checked him every day. And I turned it on, and he was talking to me and eating. And as soon as he got, like, one bite in, he just turned upside down and floated to the surface and was over. <laughs> the most depressing okay. stream I've ever had of anything. Getting, like, PTSD of playing Seaman just from that. Well, like... now I'm nervous. Now I'm, like, I'm loading up two, three times a day, making sure they're okay. And, and make, you know, I'm not logging in three times a day to, to Twitch so people can watch me flip out and make sure the, the temperature's okay in the water. But that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong. Uh, but I'm also playing other things afterwards. So I'll play Seaman, and then I'll play, you know, like today I play Gremlins 2 or something on NES. Just something else to play after my 15, 20 minutes with Seaman. But other than that, you know, I've, I've really just been uh, kind of playing through what I've got. I did pick up a few things uh, recently that I haven't really started. Uh, but, but you know, other than that, really it's a lot of, of streaming things on Twitch, JP Retrovaniacs. If you're bored, I apparently log in during the day because what else do I have to do with myself except for play the game we're going to play today, Clash at Demon Head for the Nintendo. As we mentioned at the start of the show, this is a patron request, uh, so I have John B. who recommended the game. So, John, welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, so you picked Clash of Demon Head for the Nintendo. Uh, this is one that I hadn't played. I don't think Jeremy and Billy have played it, but uh, but I, I was excited to try it because I remember seeing it in Nintendo Power. Is this one you had when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember renting it and just falling in love with it, and as soon as I had to return it, I tra- gathered, a, gathered a bunch of the games and went to Funko Land traded it for it right away because i fell in love with that game right away well it's it's definitely i don't know if i'd say the first impression is great on the game however i think after about 10 minutes i was like oh wow this is not what i expected this is way better than i thought this was going to be just based on you know the the graphics are uh, a little primitive even for nintendo standards especially a later nintendo title but that said uh it has a lot of the things i like in in a in a good classic console game, it's, it's almost a Metroidvania, but not quite. There's different maps you can go to. Obviously, you have to kind of find your right way, right way through the map and, and find clues of where to go next. I mean, I really enjoyed that part of it. I, I had never played this, and I didn't. I, I, I knew I remembered the game, but I, I knew I had never played it. So I was like, how do I remember this game so well and yet never played it? And I didn't realize, I mean, I, uh, I did a, a search just to check, and it had, you know, huge spreads in Nintendo Power. I remember those spreads really well. Never played this game, but <laughs> but I was glad that you uh, you picked mm-hmm. it for us. Oh, yeah. Yep. I still have that issue of Nintendo Power right here. Yeah, it's, well, and so that, that brings me to what I am I think is going to be maybe the, the, the biggest, I don't want to say complaint, but our biggest issue is uh, I got lost fairly, not fairly early. I think I, I did some really good progress with, you know, just straight up looking at the, the basic manual that came with the game and just playing. And, you know, there's so many uh, governors with coins you have to find. I found three of them, no problem. Uh, I did not know where to find some of the others. There's one that's hidden underwater in a certain section. And, of course, the one towards the end of the game. Uh, if you didn't have the other the other medallions, you can't get to him. So 
I was like, how would you figure this out? And then when I looked at the Nintendo Power listing, it tells you on that on that article literally every single thing you need to know that would make this game, I don't want to say easier, but but stop the problems that I ran into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're not paying attention and you don't take notes on what the characters are telling you, what routes to go to and stuff, you could easily get lost in that game. I, I remember playing it young, just kind of wandering around aimlessly for a long time, but I enjoyed it just because so the variety of enemies... And just uh, the different backdrops, you know, so it, it kept me motivated just to keep exploring. But, yeah, it's very easy to get lost in that game if you don't know, uh, if you don't have a route that you're looking for. You know, the game could have greatly been improved if they would have just numbered them on the map, too. Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's I expected the dots were numbered, but it's not the, the dots like the where the lines meet. It's the lines themselves. The path themselves are numbered. So even though that makes sense when you start mapping it out, for some reason that was not intuitive. So to have to figure out, oh, okay, it's the routes that are these numbers, not the dot that I'm aiming for, that makes more sense, because at first my map was crazy. I was like, how does that make any sense? On this side, you know, it said this was dot four, but when I'm over there, now it says this is dot four. What am I doing wrong? And I was like, oh, it's the path. It's not the dots. That makes a lot of sense. Um, on my playthrough, I didn't really get stuck, uh, aside from not being able to find the, the, uh, the, the underwater um, governor, but the... Did you have a lot of problems with specifically the demon fight? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, I found always using the the, uh, the the boots really helped in that one because it let you jump higher and uh, gave you a little bit better range of uh, running back and forth and dodging the eye pretty good. Yeah, that, that's the only fight in the game that I was like, man, I, I'm doing something way wrong because I would get maybe one hit and then just die horribly. And, uh, you know, I didn't have, and, and I don't know if you... You know, again, maybe the Nintendo Power told you, or maybe you played it enough where you figured it out. I finished the game with only one of the magical powers from the Hermit. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, those are so important. Um, full health re- uh, full health heal and the teleport alone. Oh, man, that makes the game so much easier to navigate. So there's so much backtracking. So yeah. those force powers, yeah, that teleport is really helpful. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. How, I mean, I guess it, they should have. They could have explained that a little better, that you need to save up your power so you earn those spells. I thought I was going to find them in the map or, like, at a boss, you beat it and you get this power. I never got it, so I got to the very end of the game and I still only had the original Hermit spell of shrinking yourself down. I'm like, what are these other spells? I'm missing them. I must have missed them on the map. So I looked that up and I was like, oh... Well, maybe if I didn't die so often, because when you die, you do lose some of that power. Uh, and I definitely did yeah. my fair share of dying. It's not a penalizing game when you do die, thankfully. It, it, it's That's really the only minus. I mean, you're the progress in the one route you're on. But other than that, your power goes down. But otherwise, you keep all your items, all your money. Uh, it's, it's very, very forgiving. So I was, I was pleased to see that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, so is there anything about this game that you thought was extremely noteworthy? Um, well, I, I was always just fond of the, the look, you know, like you said, it, it, it wasn't the best graphics, but I just really liked the design it Had a very eighties anime feel to it. You know, they did a lot of care, like each suit, even if you're in a suit, when you're going into talking time, that suits reflected in the, in your image in the talking time, just the little animations when you're crawling on the ground, you know, there's a lot of attention to the details of the sprites I found. And I, I really appreciated that in such an early game. Yeah. I, I think ugly may have been a little harsh. I, I guess my my, I'm coming at it from we just played Mega Man 5, which uh, all those Mega Man games have a very unique art style, but it also, you know, it's got thick drawing lines. It's it's very, very detailed. And so these were not as detailed. There's not as much color in each enemy. Some of them have very thin outlines if they have an outline at all. So, I, I mean, I guess maybe I just played the wrong game before picking this one up to say it was ugly. It's not. It moves really well. And I think some of the some of the bosses actually look really cool. And, and all the areas, I like how varied it is. And, yeah, your suits themselves look awesome. But I just thought some of the enemies at first, especially on those first few levels, you're like, yep. These are just okay. 
Yeah, this is uh, they're, they're, some say they're pretty reminiscent of Mega Man enemy sprites too, which I, I can see a few of them look similar. Some of them. Uh, there's there's some flying like enemies that are very similar that have that thick <laughs> outline. Uh, some of the missiles, for example, that explode when you shoot them, th- those have that thicker outline. But some of the other ones, like there's, um, they're, they're kind of like these flying faces that shoot at you, and they they have kind of like crooked eyes, and those those were like the first thing I saw where I was like, ah, oh, these aren't very good looking. But you know, that, again, that's a personal choice. Again, they animate well, and they it plays just fine. So no complaints there. I I always thought that this was a, a hidden gem in my eyes on the NES, and it's often overlooked uh, on a lot of game lists. So I, I, every chance I get, I, I, I always recommend this one to anybody that's looking for a fun NES game to play. But yeah, no, this was this was a, an excellent choice. So thank you very much for uh, for recommending this. Anything you want to plug at all? Another podcast or uh, anything else? I don't have a podcast, um, but I do have a podcast I thoroughly enjoy that I do like to rep as much as possible. Sure. Uh, nostalgia. NES nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, they're just a group of guys, younger guys that are kind of playing through the whole catalog and release order. And oh, wow. I, I think it's uh, it's cool seeing fresh eyes on it, and they do good work. So I just like to recommend them as much as possible as well. All right, well, we will we will definitely do that. And uh, and thank you so much for picking this game. Oh, thanks, thanks for playing, it, guys. I had never played Clash of Demon Head before. I, I remember it, but I had never actually played it. Did you play this before? I've never actually played it. I remember hearing about it, you know, kind of years later after the fact. I never saw this in a video store ever. I never saw it in Nintendo Power or any of the magazines I read. And the only thing I think I remember from it over the years are the little pictures that they use for like the story sections of the game, like the little cutout pictures for each character. That is as far as I remember. So when I heard this one come up, I was pretty curious because it's one of those games I've always wanted to play, wanted to try out, but it it never really, I don't know, it just never really came up to where I'd, I'd either for, completely forget about it or I'd see it and it's like, ah, you know, I, I'll, I'll just play something else. This was in Nintendo Power. Uh, one of the earlier issues, I think issue six or seven, had like a, a six-page spread on this, which is how I remember it. But after oh, that, man, I missed that. It, was, it was not really... Something I'd ever seen. You're right. It wasn't my in my video store, and I didn't remember it. So I'm I'm really bad apparently at gauging time with the NES. Like for the Super Nintendo, for Turbo Graphics, all this stuff. Like it's late enough, and I, and I'm pretty good at remembering. Like yeah, this is an early title. This is a late title. Um, you know, this was I had remember this from this time frame. For the Nintendo stuff, I remember things being early that aren't. Like I I swore this was like an early early Nintendo game, but it's not. This didn't come out until 1989 in Japan and 1990 here. And then even Nintendo Power, I was like, oh, yeah, if it was an early issue of Nintendo Power, that must have been, like, 1987. Nintendo Power didn't come out until the late 1988. Like, my, my gauge of time is all thrown off. So th- this was a, uh, a game that I remember seeing. And you're right, it's the little cinematics where they talk to each other, which we'll get into, that I kind of remembered. Uh, but there was other things, mainly the map in the game. I remember seeing that map like a, a spread out of that map in Nintendo Power and being like, I have to play this game. Look at how massive this map is. It's going to be amazing. But that's all I remember about it. And uh, and so this, you know, I was very happy to get the suggestion to at least try this game finally that I kept thinking about forever and actually never got around to. Uh, as I mentioned, this came out in 1990 in the U.S. This was by Vic Tokay. The only other game we've covered that they developed was Golgo 13, 
which, as you may recall, way back in episode 37, so almost 100 episodes ago, we did not necessarily care for. Uh, but you can't hold that against somebody uh, as far as a, a developer if they're going to make other games. They also made um, Decap Attack, which I think we have a video of on Retrovania.net, and they were the publisher of Billy's favorite game. He's going to be very mad he missed it, uh, Mansion of Hidden Souls. So we have covered Victor K before, but this is the first game that I think I've played by them other than Golgo 13 that they developed that I in any way enjoyed. It's one of those names that like I, I've always heard of, but then I just I can never really put games to. So when it comes up, I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, these guys. Uh, yeah, I, I, like you, I was really excited to kind of play through this and see what was going on. And this, I'm not going to give it all away, but this may be one of the bigger surprises of 2020 as far as games go on this, this podcast for me. Well, especially NES games. I think I'm, I'm fairly well-versed in things that are and aren't good on the NES, and, and things that I would say are, you know, like a, a, a hidden gem or a game I really should have tried are very, very few. So this was kind of a nice surprise that it's something that I, not only was I not extremely familiar with, but it's not exactly what I expected uh, from what I remember of the game. So in this game, you are Bang. That's your name. Uh, you're some kind of like almost 007 secret agent, but done as a full anime style secret agent. So you work for some kind of top secret organization, and you're on vacation with your girlfriend. Your cell phone goes off. You're told, oh no, someone's captured our like, top scientist. You need to go save him. So you're off to the island uh, of Demonhead to, to try to save this scientist. Uh, the, the story to this is all done in little anime cutscenes generally. Uh, and then once you get started with the game, you, you're kind of presented at the very beginning of the game with this map. It's a giant map of what looks like, you know, you're, you're on the ground level where you see the grass, and it's an overhead map, and then you see some rivers and some roads that go between everything up to this mountain that's kind of at the top center of the screen. This is what I remembered from Nintendo Power, was this giant map that had all these routes, and it looked like it was one of those games where you get to pick which way you want to go through the map, and, and it is kind of what you do in this. So I was very, I was like, oh, this, this is going to be great. So as soon as, in the first level, you have no real choice. You're at, like, point A, and the only place to go is up to, uh, to point B, essentially, so you have to go through the first level. The game switches, and most of the game you're going to spend outside of this map is on these action screens. They're side-scrolling action levels. Sometimes they do go vertical, or sometimes they're multiple plane, like uh, multiple screens high or low. But generally, it's that same kind of 2D action uh, platforming you're kind of used to. Uh, the A button jumps. The B button fires your gun. You have an item selection screen with select, and start pauses the game and brings up the map so you can see where you are. Uh, and this game is... Not just a straight action game. It's not like Mario Brothers or something where you go through all these levels till you get to the end and there's a boss. You have to figure out where to go and, and how to progress through this island to find not only how to get to that mountain at the top, which is ultimately what your goal is going to be, and it's very, pretty obvious from the beginning, but you also have to find all the bosses. The bosses are sometimes uh, just clearly hidden in like a, a castle, so you just go there and you fight the boss, that's great. Other times you have to talk to different individuals who you meet on the way in these little talking screens to unlock that these bosses show up in some areas. And some bosses are completely hidden, and you won't find them unless you know exactly where to look. Um, I was actually stuck in this game, I could not get through it, and... I couldn't figure out what I did wrong. I couldn't find someone in the game that would give me like a clue as what to do. And actually, when I went back to look at that Nintendo Power spread, it actually laid out there exactly what you needed to do, where to find all the bosses, and how to get to the end. So I think that's how everybody did this at the start when it showed up in the U.S. is they had this Nintendo Power. Because otherwise, there's a lot of things that are not explained incredibly well, either in the manual or in the game itself, as far as how to progress through the entire game. That said, to, to get a handle on 
what you're going to do in the game, which is literally the side-scrolling action sections. You don't need any of that. You just jump into the game, play through those first few levels, and, you know, it, it's it's not going to knock you out of the park. Your gun shoots across the screen. Most enemies die in one or two hits. Uh, you, you have a health bar at the bottom of the screen that starts with, I think, four or six blocks, but you build that up as you go through the game pretty easily. Um, and then when you go to the item selection screen, you'll notice that you have a massive like selection of weapons that you don't own any of. You don't have any of them yet. You have to figure out how to get them. Uh, so it's the kind of game that, you know, if you think about it like a like a Zelda or something, you have like your screen at, when you pause the game and you see all the items you can earn. You think this is going to be like that, but it's not quite that kind of game. No, this is, a, this is a much different kind of game than what I thought it was going to be because, you know, whenever you look at, at pictures of the game, you just expect it to be a straightforward side-scroller. And it, it is sort of that. But like you said, whenever you start, you are introduced to that map screen. I know you say that it was impressive back then, but this has to be the ugliest map screen I have ever seen in my life. It looks like it is straight out of MS Paint. But I was, ex I was excited to see that there was a map screen. And just the sheer amount of places or points that it looked like you can go onto that map, I was like, it, it's intimidating almost. It's just like, wow, there's, there's a lot of shit here. And... Like you, I didn't quite understand how I was supposed to navigate it because unlike a normal map screen, it's not like, you know, it's not like Mario 3 where you can just kind of walk around the map screen and do like that. You know, it's you progress, uh, you know, you finish the stage and you then you progress to the next point on the map. And if there's a, um, you know, if there's if it's divided or whatever, it's like you have to actually pick which which point you want to go to, like A or B or C or whatever. And then that's another stage. But if you don't know where you're going, there's really, you're just kind of wandering. And it is fun to explore the game. There's a lot of exploration to it that I like. But unless you absolutely know where you're going, there's not much reason to go. Because there are very specific things you need to do uh, in order to open up sections of these stages to progress further in the game. Really the first, I guess, hint that you get is like kind of the first guy that you come across that you can talk to. And, and then it's talking time. Uh, or whatever they call it. Yeah, talking time. Talking time. And so that brings you to this little scene where, you know, you're talking to this guy. And I think that's generally where you're supposed to get all the hints because this guy's like, oh, you know, there's this fairy that's in like uh, 17 or whatever. And that's uh, a point on the map that you then need to try to get to. Uh, so that's kind of how the game guides you around. It's just that you have to be very careful to actually go into talking time with most of these people so that they can tell you where you need to go next. Um, and even then, like, uh, you know, it's there's certain people that you need to talk to or get to or bosses you need to beat so that you can, like I said, open up previous areas in stages you've already been to to go to the next section. So it's kind of like this, I don't want to say Metroid. I got this weird Rygar feel with this whole game. Yes, and I don't know yes. why. Well, I think that's a much better comparison because a Metroidvania you think of as one giant open connected map. Maybe there's some, you know, elevators or something, but generally it's a giant open connected map where you earn new abilities to, you know, you, you can see like I can get up there, but I can't jump high enough. And you'll get, a, you know, special boots later that you jump high enough. This game is more like a Rygar in that you can go any place. You have the abilities. And in fact, you start the game. Uh, with essentially all the abilities you're going to get for the rest of the game, aside from one set. And we'll explain the magic in the game in a minute. But 
Uh, well, not in a minute, but when we get there. When you go to the item selection screen, you'll see there's 15 items. 12 of them are filled in, and there's three that are stars or whatever. You can't see what they are yet. But the other 15 you can see, and it just says you have zero of them for most of them. You, ha you start the game every time with three ultra food, which heal one bar of health. And again, you start with four. It becomes, I think, up to like 12 later. But either way, a super food, or I'm sorry, ultra food only fills one bar at a time. Uh, you also have one shop call, and you have one micro-recorder. Now, the micro-recorder, I'll explain quickly because it's the simplest of them. This game uses passwords, and the only way to get a password is to use this one-use-only micro-recorder that gives you a password that saves, you know, where you are, what you've unlocked, the bosses you fought, etc. And then you have to buy another micro-recorder from the shop to get a second password. So that's what the micro-recorder does. It's really just used for passwords. But you always want to make sure you have one. The shop call, you can use anywhere on the action stages, not on the map, but in the action stages. And a little shop, like a sign that literally says shop, will fall down from the sky. You can jump into it. And then you can buy basically everything in that game that wasn't the, the crossed out three items at the bottom. So I did explain what each of these does, and we'll get into those items shortly. But basically, if you really wanted to get to any level in this game, you have the ability from the very first stage, as long as you kill a couple guys and get some money from them, to buy, you know, the special suit that lets you swim or the suit that, that's a jetpack or whatever to get to all these levels. Where in Metroid, you have to go earn them and unlock them in another area. This gives you everything you need from the get-go. But like you said, the key to this game is not just, oh, I can go to the last dungeon. You know, I can go to the fastest path to get to the top of this mountain and fight the last guy. It doesn't work that way. You've got to figure out first off, what you're supposed to do to save the scientist. And in the very first level that you go to, you get that first clue. You you get halfway through the adventure section. I'm sorry, halfway through the action section, and you fight Guy Cot. He's this giant, like, flying skull guy. And, and he, you know, he attacks you a couple times, and then you go to talking time, where he basically says, like, yeah, well, you're never going to stop us without all the royal medallions of the governors. I'll be in section 33. Bye. And he runs off. And now you're stuck figuring out, like, okay, well, I'm in section 1. So there are at least 33 other sections in this game. And I've got to figure out, one, which sections are which. You know, i got to get to this guy to fight him. i got to find all these medallions. And that's where, as you're going through these, these action sections, you'll run into people that will tell you, you know, little clues like you mentioned earlier. Someone says, uh, oh, there's this there's a sprite in Section 17, like a fairy. So, you know, you have to go to 17 to find this fairy for some reason. And when you get to Section 17 and you talk to the fairy, you know, it'll tell you something like, oh, make sure you go to Section 35 and find the hermit. Like there's all these little things you find from everyone you talk to. And the map doesn't tell you, even after you've gone through them, what section is what. It doesn't say, oh, well, you know, Section 1 is the very opening of the game, etc. And what made this confusing to me was, normally if you have, like, if you, and I'll put a picture of this map on Twitter and everything, but the, but basically the map is a connection of lines to these these vertices of, uh, a dot vertice that leads to other lines, so you can go to, you know, like a fork in the road, you know, three passageways from where you go to at the end of level one, for example. When you get to that first, you know, you finish the first level, shows you the map, and it shows you this little connection where it's like, you can go left and that says a 4. Up says a 2. Right says a 3. And down says a 1. You would think that the dots, like the vertices of these lines, is what the number represents. But that's not what it is. The number represents the path. So path 1 is just that very intro path. Path 4 is the path left. And it goes to another vertice that is just this unnamed thing on a map that leads to sections 10, 
eight, or again, you can go back to four. So it's learning that the lines on the map are the numbers, not where the lines meet, which is what you think would be the numbers. That threw me off for a long time. Once you figure that out, you do have to just kind of wander around and find people to talk to until they give you a clue. If you get a clue from somebody, you should probably try to map out where these things are and and find the whatever they've asked you to do. Find a ferry. Okay, I'll go find 17 and find the ferry. And a lot of the time that means you have to find the best route to get there. It's worth it to explore every single one of these routes because sometimes there's uh, there's there's gold you'll find on the way. That's actually useful for, for getting a bunch of money later, but not, not essential. Uh, but there's also... You know, plenty of, of spots to stop and get a bunch of money so that you can buy these extra things from the shop. There's actually a specific area. Area 5 ends in a permanent shop that's always there. So that way, if you're out of shop items, you're not completely screwed. You can actually find a shop still at the very beginning of the game. And generally, from the bottom of the screen on your map screen, from the bottom of the screen towards that mountain at the top center, they kind of chronologically grow. It's not one, two, three, four, five, like in a, in a straight line, but... There's a good chance if you're looking for a number, a single-digit number, it's in that bottom row of, of of routes. It may not be, but most likely it's in the bottom row of routes. And then the teens, and then the 20s, and the 30s. There are some outliers. There's some things where you can clearly see on the map there are dots or there are lines that are not connected to anything else. So you know there's got to be a cave or a, tra- a teleport or something to get you there. Uh, the map in this game is is interesting. I didn't want to say it looks amazing. I didn't think the map was mind-blowing like it was so beautiful. I, I couldn't think of a better map. I just liked how... It looked like it was a massive game, and it gave you a lot of places to go. But it is, it is. I don't want to say it's extremely confusing, because I was able to, to kind of map everything really well. I wrote it all down. I have four pages of notes on, on how the map all fits together. And, I, and even a, a kind of a checklist of, did I go through Section 1, Section 2, Section 3, Section 4, to make sure I didn't miss anything in these... Uh, in, in this map, but there are definitely sections where, as you mentioned, if you don't talk to a specific person, if you don't immediately go from after the intro section, you can go, you know, left to four, north to two, and uh, and east to three. You want to go to three, and the manual actually says like, hey, you should talk to somebody in section three. Um, but otherwise, if you didn't read that part of the manual, or if you're just playing it now without a without a manual, you may not know to go that. You could go to the left and and go through a series of levels till you get to a dead end where literally there's no place to go. And you're like, well, now what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I have to go all the way back, and there's no teleport at the start. You have to walk all the way back through all those sections to get back to, to where you hadn't gone before. Uh, it, it is definitely a little confusing at first, and until you get some more power and some more life, you do die often. You can continue ultimate, you know, you continue unlimited amount of times. When you die, if you continue, you start right back at the beginning of, or actually at the, the decision of which direction to go to, uh, which of the, the th- two or three routes you can go on. Uh, other than that, like, you have one life. You have that one life bar. You're the only health items you can find. There are hearts that drop from enemies. Also, you can get the, the superfoods, but you can only hold three at a time. That fills up your health. So at the very beginning of this game, if you're not quite sure where to go, you're going to probably die a lot, and you need to kind of learn how all the levels fit together. But, uh, but once you get rolling, I found this to be a really, really interesting way to tie the game together. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a strange game as far as like its pacing and, and how you get through it. But like once you kind of get the hang of it of what you're supposed to do and, and like who you need to talk to, it's it's fine. Like I actually had a lot of fun even when I didn't know where I was going, just exploring these levels and stuff because none of the stages are very long. Like it does look like it's a massive map with a ton of stuff to do, but most of these stages aren't very long at all. A lot of the dots are just bosses by themselves. 
So, you know, it's it's not that big of a game. It's just separated in this way that it, you can make it a lot longer than it needs to be if you just don't know where you're going. You just, you know, you've gone off in the wrong direction. And I could see that being a thing. I didn't have the instructions for this one or I didn't read any. I don't know if you looked at it. Did the instructions like, you know, give you any hints at all as to where you need to go or, or what? Kind of just where to start. It said you had to go towards three to talk to. And they give the guy's name. I forgot his name. It's something boring like Tom, honestly. Okay. But you, you talk to, it says, oh, go find your, you know, your counterpoint Tom at section three. He'll give you a clue. And he's the one that says go to 17 to find a ferry. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, once you kind of got it, it was it was generally me just kind of looking for those people in these areas telling me where to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just a, it's a fun little game. And you mentioned like these mm-hmm. items that you get, you know, you, I press select. And I was like, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff here. But the game does a really good job of giving you enough money that whenever you do get to a shop that you can actually buy a lot of these things at once. I'm one of those guys that whenever I find power ups in games, I generally just save them to the very end or never use them. Because I'm just like, oh my god, I never, I may never get this again. But like, it felt like there was more than enough money in this game to where I could just buy the stuff I wanted and I could try out these different, all these different items. And some of them actually changed the way it plays. Yes. Uh, you know, you've got the the rocket suit or the uh, the armor that makes you run faster and stuff like that, or the uh, uh, scuba diving suit, stuff like that. And it actually changes the way you look, which I thought it was actually cool. Even in the cutscenes, if you're wearing the thing, it makes you look like you you have the, the <laughs> yes, proper thing that you're wearing. Your I helmet. thought that was hilarious. It's like these guys paid a lot of attention to this. It's charming as all hell. Uh, but yes, like it's it was all fun to just like it was fun just to experiment with all that stuff because I had more than enough money to buy multiples of this stuff whenever I did get to a store, or at the store I could just buy the item that drops a store down from the top of the screen Yes. so that you can go to the store whenever you want, which is like the best item in the entire game. Uh, always have uh, you know, sky stores coming down on top of you. That's the main thing. That's my pro tip for the game. But yeah, it's, it, I, I was just constantly screwing around with the stuff that, that I could get from that store. And uh, the game seems to want, want you to experiment with this stuff and, and screw around with the various things. Uh, it's got the old guy in there. Um, one of the options at the store, I guess, is the old guy that can give you like the various. Uh, he can make you small, you can shrink you down, and stuff like that. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that you can just kind of screw around with and discover that the game doesn't immediately show you what the hell it's even all about. So the the guy that gives you the magic, while he does show up on the store screen, that's not where you get his his abilities, but that's right where it shows up. So I would totally understand thinking, yeah, yeah, you get him from the store if you didn't spend a lot of time really kind of figuring out what the store does first. I did that early. I realized that I could buy everything, and I was like, well, I'm going to save up money and buy every single item and see what it does. And that square where that guy is is not there at the start. Um, So you find him in Section 35. After you talk to the fairy, she tells you to go to talk to the hermit in Section 35, and he shows up. After you've talked to him once, he does show up in that little square. And we'll talk about the hermit powers momentarily. Um, But let's go over what's in the shop. So... You come into the shop again. When you start the game, you only have the shop calling item that brings a shop down from the sky, like you mentioned. You have the micro recorder that lets you save a password. And you have some ultra foods that are each, you know, one hit point, essentially, uh, in your bar at the bottom. The things you can buy from the get-go are a barrier, which is just, a, you know, a shield that takes so many hits till it goes away, for 5000 I don't know if it's gold, but we're going to go with gold, $5,000. The Rolling Star item, which I never used. I bought one. It kind of like does this thing where the, the, the shot rolls along the ground. I thought it was useless. Um, 
There is the Thunderbolt. The Thunderbolt I love. That shoots a bunch of shots out in front of you, and there's actually a few bosses that without it, I don't know how you'd possibly ever get through it. Uh, power Boots, which lets you jump really high and make you run fast. Um, the Power Boots uh, and the next few items I'm going to talk about, once you uh, put them on, they last for a set amount of time based on how long you've used the item. So in the case of the boots, the timer won't go down just by wearing them, but the timer does go down as you run and as you jump. Uh, there's a jetpack that lets you fly. Again, once you put it on, it doesn't go down. They, they use of it until you start using the jetpack to fly, which is just, you know, jump once and then hold down the jump button and he'll fly around the screen. Uh, that goes down pretty quickly, but that's $8,000. Uh, an aqualung lets you swim, which at first you're like, who cares? I can swim anyway, because uh, you can. You just float on top of the water, no problem. But the aqualung lets you actually go in the water and swim down. And there's definitely areas later that you have to do that. And without the aqualung, you're not going to make it through it because they're, like tunnels under the water that without this breathing suit you're not going to last long enough because otherwise if you go underwater without the aqualung you can do it but you watch your power go down slowly so to just go across a lake no big deal you don't need the suit but to go under the lake and see if you can find secrets you need that that aqualung that's seven thousand dollars and then the super suit for nine thousand nine hundred and ninety dollars is used to stand in lava without dying because otherwise you'll fall in lava and die almost immediately uh, and there's actually a section of the levels where you need to have it so you can go through the lava because that's the only way to get to certain bosses. Uh, and then you can buy more food. You can buy the Dynapunch, which I never used. <laughs> um, Dynapunch gives you more force power, and force power matters for what that old man hermit gives you. And we'll we'll talk about that momentarily. But that's that's what you can buy in the shop. So it's at first, I did the same thing you, you mentioned where like I was afraid to use all my items because you have to buy them. So you're like, oh, I don't want it. And it's only one use each or whatever, so I don't want to waste them. And you can only have three in my inventory and whatever. How hard is it going to be to save up this money? Uh, but the game wants you to play it like a Metroid in that once you get a new ability, you're supposed to use it a bunch. Once you can buy power boots, put them on. Use them. You run around, jump, do stuff. Make sure you have a bunch of your inventory. Same with the jetpack and the aqualung. Like, they want you to constantly have these items and not be afraid to use them. So they are fairly cheap. And you get the ability to call a shop at any point, which is, you know, massively helpful. Not not every point in the game. There are definitely spots that you cannot call a shop. You can't call a shop in the middle of a boss fight. Uh, you can't call a shop in the last section of the game. Uh, once you get to the very top of the mountain, there's a whole other section. and You cannot do that. Uh, you call a shop in there at all. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for me to get to use items in a game where it seems like it's a limited resource, but it's really not that limited. You should not be afraid to use them. Uh, and with that, you can kind of get anywhere you need to go on the map. Uh, the, the Aqualung especially is an air, is a, an item that I didn't use at first because I was like, oh, I don't need it to swim. But basically in any area where you can swim, you should put on the Aqualung and try to swim under the water. Try to swim under the screen. A lot of the time there's secret screens underneath that will provide extra money, extra items, extra power for you, and in some cases, in one case specifically, there's a boss I would never, ever have found without Nintendo Power, uh, and therefore looking it up online to see where to go. There's a boss that's in an underwater section you'd never, ever know to look in. Uh, and, and without beating all the bosses on the way to the last castle, the last on the way to that mountain to fight the last fight, you can't even get in there unless you've beaten all these bosses. So that's the one I got stuck on. I could not figure out where this boss is, and that's because you're supposed to, every place there's water, essentially, put on that Aqualung suit and swim around and try to find everything you can, all the secrets you can find before it runs out.
So you mentioned the Hermit. So, you know, you start this game, you go through uh, a couple different sections, and you talk to the, the first guy who says, oh, go find this fairy in 17. The fairy tells you after you've talked to the fairy, she, she does say, um, you know, hey, you can go back, and there's a waterfall in section maybe seven. I forgot the number. It doesn't really matter. But you go back to the section before, there would not have been anything there. When you go to this this waterfall after you talk to the fairy, now there's a door that opens up. And it takes you to, on the upper left corner of the map, there's like a, a route all by itself where nothing else is. Well, that's Route 35. That's where this hermit is. And you had to talk to the fairy to get the, the door to open so you could go up to talk to the hermit. You fight some guy right before you get to the hermit because he's captured by uh, one of the bosses. And after you... That boss isn't very interesting. You just shoot him a bunch try to dodge his attacks. Nothing nothing worth mentioning on that boss. So after you, 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 know, you beat that boss and you get to talk to the hermit, the hermit gives you your first of the five force powers. So this whole time, if you look at the pause, the the item select screen, there is a force count at the bottom. That up until now, I didn't know what it meant. It starts at zero. Every time you get an apple, I think it gives you ten. As you fight certain uh, certain bosses and get like the medallions and stuff, your force goes up as well. What that force is used for is to do these magical powers that the hermit gives you. And he starts you with one, the power to shrink. And you need that power because that's the only way to leave Section 35. You can't leave any other way than until you can shrink, you can go through this little tiny tunnel and get your way out again. Otherwise, you get stuck there. So as you're playing the game, you can earn five total, so four other powers that use your force. I finished this game without earning any of the other force powers. (laughs) I don't know how I did it. Well, I know how I did it. When you die in this game, you don't lose a whole lot. You don't lose any money. You don't lose any items in your inventory. You do start at the beginning of the section you were at, no big deal. But what you do lose is a little bit of your force power. So if you die over and over and over again, eventually your force gets back down to zero. That doesn't affect how your attack works. doesn't affect anything else but this magic power. And what I didn't know is you earn new powers not by finding them in the game, not by earning them by a fight or you know anything else. You earn only... You only earn these other powers by getting your force to 100 or 200 or 300, up to 500 to get all the powers. I had no idea. What? Really? Is that how you... Yes. That's super weird. Like, I would have expected that you would keep finding them out in the game somehow, like beating bosses. I, I, you know, I want it because I got the one, you know, the shrinking one. I was like, oh, that's cool. But then I just kept having that one. And I don't know if I ever earned any more. So the second power, I think it's the second power, is a teleport that you can use over and over again. And basically it lets you pick uh, one of the vertices to go to. So you can, you know, once you're back out on the map, you can go to any other vertices you've already been to in the game, which is helpful. You don't have to worry about, you know, walking back through a whole section of the game. But you have to have earned that. So you've had to have either been lucky enough to live long enough to get your force to 200. Or no, that's what I have to do. And the only way I ever got that second power is uh, by kind of farming it. Like, I knew, okay, if I go to this area, I can get a bunch of guys that when I load on the screen, there's five or six guys to kill. I would kill a bunch of them, hopefully get an apple that gives me ten force, and then leave the screen. And then you come back on the screen, do the same thing over and over again, and just farm to apples to hopefully get to 200. So then I got that second power once I knew that's how you earned them. And I thought, you know what? I made it all the way to the very end of this game and just couldn't get to the last level because I didn't find that boss that was underwater. So forget it. I'm not even look for these other force powers you don't need them to finish the game they're just kind of helpful you get the micro power which lets you shrink teleport which i already explained lets you go to any place you've already been uh levitation which works like a jetpack it's it's apparently a little slower but you don't have to worry about having a jetpack but you do need to use your force up to use it 
Energizer, which does a full health, which would have been wonderful. But you have to earn 400 force for that. So I, I never got it. I wish I would have had that. Uh, and then the last one, if you earn 500 force, you earn Karate Power, which lets you become invincible, but you can only punch things. You can't, you can't use your gun, so you can only get right in front of things. It only lasts for, I mean... I think it's 30 seconds. So for most bosses, I guess that's wonderful, but it doesn't really help you worth the amount of force that it costs to use. Uh, so yeah, that, that's how you get the force powers. That's what the old man does in your uh, inventory screen. Uh, again, I got all the way to the very end of this game with just the basic one he gives you. You don't need these other ones. I, I don't know how you'd ever farm 500 force effectively to get that. Even if you wanted to just use the Dynapunch item you get from the store, it only gives you like 30, 40, or 50 force. So you'd have to just keep using them and then summon the store and buy a bunch more and keep using them and then summon the store and buy them. <laughs> like it's it's not like you can buy a hundred of these things. Each of your inventory items is capped at three uses. So you, you'd have to keep using all three to get like 600 and then call the store again. and do. So I, I never use those other powers, but that that's what those do. Uh, but again, you don't need them to get through the game. It's just kind of the, some, some things that make you even more powerful, but that, that full health the full health regen that you get at 400 force would have been super helpful because, again, all the food items only give you one health block. And if you have 12 health blocks, it means you need to basically, if you want full health, either keep killing enemies and hope you get a heart or use your ultra foods and then call the store. Buy three ultra foods. Use them. Call the store. Use three ultra foods. Use them. But, you know, it's like, oh, man, they, they, they should have at least let the, the foods and the forces be unlimited. But I guess they didn't want it to be where you could just buy a million forces and then get all the powers. I, I don't really know if there would have been a better way to do that with forces. But foods, food should have been unlimited. That's the weirdest way of learning new powers in a game I think I've ever heard. You know, in, in an RPG, you're supposed to, uh, you know, you can grind to, to level up and get new powers but this game doesn't actually like show you that you're you know gaining levels by doing that and it's not really even a level like you said it's just like 100 200 300 whatever like as as forward thinking as this game was in a lot of different ways it, it just seems like natural that these different powers would have be would have been placed around the map maybe in like a way that you know that would have want you you could have explored more and, and kind of found these or, or used a previous uh, force power to get to something new in one of the levels that you couldn't see. Because it seems like that's what the game is trying to be for the most part. It wants you to do this and then open up a section of the map that wasn't there so you can advance and do this. But relegating those powers to numbers is, is just a strange way of doing things. Well, and even if it would have been treated like an experience where as you play the game and earn these these apples, your force always goes up, right? But because it goes down not only when you die, but when you use the force powers, how would you ever know you have to just save up force powers to earn more force powers? Like, it's really bizarre the way that works. And again, you don't need them, so maybe that's why. Maybe it was just like, yeah, sure, it's a nice bonus thing. Through and after the fact, who knows? But, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't even mess with those outside of when I realized what they did and I wanted to teleport, I made sure I earned them up just to have that teleport. But uh, you do not need that to finish through the game. Most of the game is going to be you find those people that give you clues, you find where the map on the map is to get that clue to get to the hermit, and then you know once you get to the hermit, he says to go to this other section. You go to the other section, and the guy's like, oh, there's a boss in section you know 22 or whatever. You go there, you fight a boss. The bosses in this game, they all have they're all different. I'll give them that, and some of them are. More interesting than others, there's a boss that summons a whole bunch of, like, he starts as a little version of himself, and then he gets bigger and bigger, and then eventually he becomes a giant version of himself and starts summoning little versions of himself to fly around the room at you. 
uh, th- there's a boss that just charges you, and you have to make sure you dodge them. There's a there, there's there's a series of of interesting bosses, but they're not. None of them require more than just your reflexes, and and in some cases you can use like I would always have the thunderbolt at hand because it fires in a bunch of directions at once, just so I can kind of spam it like a shotgun almost. But it's not like you need those weapons. Or, or a special ability to fight these bosses. It's really just learning their patterns, dodging their attacks, and, and killing them. Again, but they're all different, which is cool. And I guess the one that's underwater, you must have an, a, uh, an Aqualung uh, to get to the battle. Once you're in the battle, you don't need it. If it runs out in the middle of the battle, no big deal. But, uh, but to fight that boss, you have to have an Aqualung to get to the boss. Other than that, there's only one boss that really has something tricky about them. Now, did you finish this game? I did not. I got pretty much all the way through, but I, I have not actually finished it yet. Did you find the demon? No, I don't think so. So there's a section where, you, you know, after you get through and, and meet the hermit and talk to some other folks, you run into a guy who kind of is like, hey, you know, there's a, a secret treasure on this island. And if you go get the magical stone and come back here, we can open this door and get to this treasure. And the magic stone is way up at the top of the mountain. Well, not the top of the mountain, but, but I'd say close to the, like the base of the mountain. You've got to really go through the map to get this stone. You get it. You go all the way back to where this guy was. And he's like, great, now we can open this door. You go through a series of, of action screens where you get to this door at the end. You open it up, and there's a, like a boss there that you cannot win. You cannot win this fight. It's designed for you to lose. I didn't realize that at the time, and I thought it was like you get one shot, and if you don't, then you can't fight it, and I was very disappointed, but it turns out you cannot beat this boss, and it's not explained incredibly well in the game, but you, you fight this demon, he beats you no matter what you do, and it's like, ha ha, you freed me, thanks so much, <laughs> and you're like, oh, crap, and in the book, it explains that this whole island is kind of historically haunted by this awful demon, and you've now just freed him. To get all the medallions for the game, you have to eventually fight this demon again later on further in, in the mountain. And in order to even hurt this demon, you have to find the Sword of Apollo. Did you ever get to the point where you had to find the magic stone of the sword? No, I did not get that far. Yeah, so again, you can get all the way to the top of the map. I think you can get to the, the door where the ex, where the actual game you know, would, would take you to the end, and you can't get into it because you haven't got all the medallions. And therefore, you know, you, you, you maybe miss the magic stone. You maybe miss the sword. You have to go find the sword, uh, and, and the guy you know gives you a quest to find out where the sword would be. You get uh, to find the sword. Uh, essentially, it's kind of hidden in a statue, but you have to stand in a certain spot and use a, an item, and you get the sword. And you go back, and you find this demon in his new hiding place. And the only way to kill the demon is to equip the sword and then know how to dodge the demon long enough where you can hit him with this sword while he's firing it with other things. It, easily by... I mean, maybe other people have no problems with this demon. If I had this on, you know, when I was a kid, this would have been where I never got past this. The demon fights very, very hard. He does a whole ton of damage. Again, your healing items don't heal you a bunch. I guess if I would have been lucky enough to have that force power that heals you fully, maybe I would have had a chance to just kind of tank this boss. But otherwise, you know, your sword doesn't move as fast as your regular attack. It you have to make sure you have that sword to hit a demon with the sword so many times, then he dies, and then you get the last medallions you need to go to the end. That was the, the only confusing part of the game. I mean, I couldn't find that underwater boss, but eventually I would have probably figured that out as a kid just because you know you can swim, so you're like, I'm going to swim everywhere I can, and eventually you'd find that boss. That demon was tough to figure out what to do, where to find him, and then just to get his pattern down was hands down the hardest boss in the game. But once you get all the medallions 
you can go to the very top of the mountain, fly up to like this, you know, top secret base that's, I guess, kind of like a, a floating base, and you get to fight the last real boss in the game. Again, not a hard boss. In fact, that boss, literally, you just duck down and fire as fast as you can and you'll kill him, which is great that that's the last, like, not the last boss in the game, but the last, like, standalone boss. There, there's, like, a... There's one more encounter in the very end of the game that's technically a boss, but it's, like, destroying a big machine. It's not really fighting one guy that runs around the room. But that's the last, like, run-around-the-room guy boss. And then you get into the last fortress. The last fortress requires you to, you know, you save the... You save the professor you've been trying to save this whole time. You're like, yes, now you can tell me how to stop, you know, how to stop this. There's a bomb that's been planted on this island. You know how to stop it because you created it. What am I supposed to do? And maybe it's just the localization. Uh, you know, I, I thought this was based on an anime because of how this all runs. It's not. It's just kind of written that way. But you save the professor and he's like, oh, I'll tell you how to do it. Come next to me. And then he explodes. And you're like, well, crap. I don't have any idea what to do to save this island. But obviously there's like a ladder that goes to the next section. So you go through more of this dungeon. You fight that boss that's uh you fight the the real last boss of the game is uh, essentially like a, a machine with three points that fire at you and you have to destroy all three points that fire at you and then the machine falls apart. It's really really simple. I I, I wish it was more interesting cuz it really isn't. The hardest boss of the game is that demon. Once you finish him, the last is no big deal. But let's say you're playing this on Nintendo. So you've got You've got it on the system. You've got your password saved to wherever you saved it last. Let's say you saved it right before this. If you're smart, you did. So you get to the, you know, you fight the last runaround boss, and then you try to save the professor. He blows up. You go and fight the last real boss in the game, and he's not very hard. You, just, you kill him, and he explodes. He's like, well, the bomb's going to go off as soon as I die, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And you're like, oh, crap. But there's another ladder. So you run through this ladder. It takes you to the top of this like floating fortress where an alien greets you who you've never met and explains that he's he's allowed this to happen to wipe off the, the humanity from the earth and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You go down the only other way you can go, which takes you to this machine that just starts counting down from 100. I think 1,000 technically, but mm, you might have a minute to do this. You have six attempts to stop this machine. And you stop this machine by taking the six medallions you have, which are not labeled a through f but let's say they are it doesn't really matter they're just symbols but essentially it's a b c d e f and you decide what order they go into in this machine there's nothing in the game that tells you oh the code is c b a f g e or whatever it's it doesn't say a thing there's no place to find this and in fact it's randomized each game so you have to you have six chances so if you do a b c d e f which is what I recommend doing the first time. If any of those are in the right spot, they stay there. Everything else goes back down to the bottom, and you're at try two to try to figure out what order these things go into. So if you make, if you can figure out what order these six things go into at before your sixth try, great. You've just won Clash of Demon Head. If you make a mistake and you do not figure it out in those six tries, the world explodes, and that is your end for Clash of Demon Head. <laughs> Man, I... If I was a kid and that happened and I got the bad end, I would have probably just cried right there. <laughs> like, like that's that's just the shittiest way to, to fucking end your game. I mean, the fact that the guy, that the scientist is like, oh, well, I'll help you, and then it explodes, I thought I messed up. I thought there's something I did wrong, and I'll never figure out. Because I also messed up this, the end because I didn't know what to do. So I kept just going, uh, and I essentially kept picking the same thing over and over again, which is never going to work, right? It didn't work the first time. It's not going to work the second. And I just, I, I failed. I failed so badly. I was like, this, 
<sighs> like this, <laughs> this was so depressing that I got to that end <laughs> and didn't figure it out. Now, again, you have a save. If you're smart, you put your password in right before the end. So you're right at the end of the game. And if you have a save state because you're playing it on something that's not the Nintendo, then you're saved somewhere near the end and it's not a massive deal. But the fact that it is a completely random solution at the end, and nothing really explains that anywhere in the game, that's crazy. This has to be one of the weirder games we've ever played on this podcast. Like, this game is just... It's really out there. And I can understand why people... Like, why this is kind of a fan favorite over the years. Like, the, you, you always see this game kind of come up in circles of being like, oh, man, you ever played Clash of Demon Heads? It's crazy. And after playing it, I... I understand why. Like this is a very strange but fun game. Like it's it's got its problems. It's it's kind of rough around the edges here and there. But like I said, it's it's charming as all hell. Uh, there's just so many weird things that this game does that it's it's kind of hard not to like it, even at its worst. You know, I, I'm not a fan of of his jump or the controls in general. It took me a while to get used to it because it's one of those games where he's got like a really high jump, but he doesn't really go very far. So it's, it's kind of hard to judge uh, until you get used to it, how far he can actually well, go. <laughs> and then when you get the jumping boots, you're like, oh, good, I can jump higher. But he, he moves so fast that it's impossible yeah. to land it. Yeah, it's it's just it's such a crazy game. Like it, and like it's it's you would think for like a Nintendo game, like for this many stages, like it would just be doing the same thing over. You'd be seeing the same enemies and stuff and stages over and over. But there's so much variety to the enemies It. I mean, none of them make sense. Like it's, but you'll be seeing something different. Like I swear to God, like in every stage, uh, also all the stages, you know, that are fairly different. It's, it's just a, it, it never, I never got bored playing this game. I'll say that much. It just, there's always something going on. It's always sending you in some weird fucking place and wanting you to do some weird shit, fight some weird creature you've never seen before in some stage you've never seen before. It's, it's such a strange game. It's and I think that's probably one of my fa- one of the reasons why it's my favorite things we've actually played this entire year. It it's another one of those, or you know, Nintendo games or, or early console games where it's not self explanatory and it takes a long time to kind of figure this game out. But once you do, you're like, all the things this game does are so interesting. Like you said, there's so many different levels that are all very different. The enemies are very different. There's always something new to see. There's plenty of hidden little things. Like I mentioned in almost every area you can swim underwater. There's at least a hidden room. You mentioned if, uh, uh, you mentioned this, I don't know if we actually included this because it was part of our conversation, but if you jump into a pit in most levels, you don't die. You go to this like underground room where you can run left or right and get to a door, and it takes you back to the beginning of the level. So you don't die by a misplaced jump, which many other games would do that. In a lot of ways, and it doesn't play similarly at all. This plays... Uh, I mean, Rygar is kind of a good example, but really it's more like... It really does feel like a Metroid game, but with this weird connection of the levels. But the the game, the way it lays out, the way that it has a different map, and there's all these weird connections everything, and it's hard to figure out exactly what to do when there's a bunch of different items... It's the same way I feel about a game like Goonies 2, that like a lot of people, if you picked it up today, you'd be like, this is unintelligible, and I do not know what to do here. But once you learn what to do in it, you're like, oh, wow, this is a lot more involved, has so many cool like moving parts. This is incredibly similar, but I don't think it's nearly as uh, as impossible to figure out as some of the Goonies 2 stuff. But but it's that kind of game. It's, it, it takes a formula you'd recognize, and it adds all this kind of problem-solving to how you progress through the game and it's done in such a neat way where you have to talk to everybody and they tell you to go to different sections and I, I 
I loved playing this. I'm I'm surprised I had not played it before because after I got into it, like this is a game that I would have loved. But I guess it just came out late enough in the system that I, you know, by the time I would have found it, I had moved on to the Super Nintendo or the Genesis or the Turbo Graphics, and this just was one I, I hadn't really picked up. But this this was an excellent excellent request. Yeah, I, I genuinely liked it, and that's that's a in stark difference, you know. A lot of times when we get these games recommended to us, it's usually because people either hate us or they want us to like suffer in some way. Uh, this one, like, it, it really seems like it is something that, uh, man, I, I would have absolutely loved this if I had played this as a kid. And as much as I enjoyed playing it through at this time, it was really like playing, you know, for as rare as it is, uh, playing an NES game that I've never played before. Uh, and so that was that was actually really cool, like to be able to play this game for the first time in 2020 so yeah uh thank you so much for recommending this game this was actually one of the best games that we've played for this podcast i will continue to play this game i absolutely love it i love the characters i love uh the stages i love everything about it i love tom tom guy whatever his fucking name is <laughs> there's just so many so many things about this game that i absolutely love that it will now be in my permanent nes recommended games from here on out So that's our thoughts on Clash of Demon Head. Uh, and thank you again, John B., for recommending it. If you really have a game you want us to cover, the best way to do it is the same way that John did it, is by joining our Patreon. Uh, again, not only do you get to pick a game for us, which is super exciting at that at the, the highest tier, but you also get two bonus episodes a month. So you get the two you get on our regular feed, plus two other completely different episodes that are never going to be on the permanent feed. And, uh, you know, we've also done some movie reviews, some other stuff. Uh, again, if you like this podcast, you want some more episodes, that's the, you know, hey, we, we like making them. Hopefully you would like to get them, uh, and the best way to do that is through our Patreon. But also, you can force us to cover a game. But sometimes you don't want us to cover a game. You just have a question you really want answered. And yes, you can join our Patreon. We're guaranteed to answer it that way. But the other thing you can do is go to Retrovania.net. And at the very bottom of the page, after all our information, all our social media links, everything on YouTube, there's a question form. Now, this form is unlike any form on the Internet because you can put in any question you want, along with your name and contact information. And we will answer that question on the episodes like we're going to do right now. That's right. And we've actually got a few questions here today. And first up is JC. And he's he's wanting to know about more video game food. Inspired by the recent question about food power-ups in a game, what is your favorite food item featured in the game that's not a power-up? I'm thinking collectibles, weapons, or even characters. Well, I'm going to go with characters, and that's an easy one for me because my favorite classic arcade game, and I've mentioned it many times, is Burger Time. So not only are there food items as the things you're supposed to kind of run over and, and collect as burgers, not collecting, but you're making them fall down, but you're also running away from food. Uh, and even though you don't really mean that's my favorite, uh, at the same time, there's something about Burger Time that has appealed to me now for, you know, almost 40 years. <laughs> and it will continue to do so forever. So anything that involves food, if you're not talking about a food item that heals you, it's going to be Burger Time for me in some way. Yeah, and I actually had to think of this for, for a quick minute because I really couldn't think of anything that was a food item that wasn't an actual food item in the in a game. And I don't think there's very many, actually. The only thing that I can come up with is Tofu from Resident Evil 2. Yeah, there you go. Like, that is about the only thing that I can come up with that that actually sticks with me. Because just I remember seeing that in Resident Evil where you're basically just a brick of tofu with boots and some gloves 
and shooting down zombies and just how absolutely ridiculous that was. Uh, that is, I think that's going to be the one, the one food item that is not a traditional food item for me, but I can't really think of anything else. Like I do have one more that I just thought of okay. in animal crossing. I did buy a hot dog hat and suit so I can walk around like a hot dog. I'm oh, going to say on, that's, that's also real life at this point. Like we've all got <laughs> hot dog hats. I'm wearing one right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yes, there there are definitely things like that. That's like I guess you know, things that you can wear here and there. I was I was kind of thinking of like you could pick up something like beat someone down with it in like a a brawler, but I can't even, you know, maybe like a bone that you can pick up. But that, that might not even be food. But uh, yeah, that's about it. Tofu is is about as far as I can get with that one. Uh, if we think of anything else, JC, we will let you know in a future episode. But thank you for writing in. Um, next up is Ben D. And he's wanting to tell us to keep up the work. And he's, uh, he's, he's written us a letter here, so I'm going to read it. Hey, guys, I've been listening to the show for a couple of years. I originally found you guys when I was looking for podcasts about Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I became a patron this spring when you offered a couple of free months, and I was glad to stay on after that. You've had great episodes on some obscure games that I never expected to find anywhere, including Robocop vs. Terminator, Eternal Champions, Judge Dredd, Comic Zone, and Metal Slug. I also enjoyed the episode on Gunstar Heroes, Punch-Out, and most recently, Mega Man 5, but also plenty of episodes on games that I have never actually played. Without a doubt, yours is the best video gaming podcast. Oh, thank you, Bendy. There are so many shitty game gaming podcasts out there that are boring as hell or become circle jerk bullshit fests between writers and editors from gaming websites and magazines. I'd rather hear from someone who worked at a gaming store and actually played retro games. And then the so-called professionals or expert gamers today. I can't stand the media around video games today, from the streamers to the college-age bloggers and pseudo-journalists who record themselves unboxing wireless gaming headsets. I don't know why anyone gives a shit about clickbait lists, E3, or getting lost in the weeds talking about game developers and publishers. None of that is interesting. You guys boil it down, talk about the games, and make it fun. I'm glad to support that and will continue to do so. I have a few things I wanted to throw at you, though. First, thank you, Billy, for talking about R-Zone. That's the first I've heard of it. Anything else you can say about that dumpster fire is appreciated. Second, thanks for making Seaman Grandpa a thing. It's made Luigi's Mansion 3 a very different experience. I know you're the big Luigi's Mansion. I, I, I love Luigi's Ghost House. It is I, Actually, that's one of my favorite games on the Switch. But that, that keep going. Keep going. Okay. Third, I'm a big Mortal Kombat fan. Once I've supported the Patreon long enough, I'm tempted to request a more I'm I'm tempted to request Mortal Kombat trilogy for the PlayStation, but I've gotten the sense that fighting games are frowned upon here. If so, I'd probably consider a, one of a couple of Sega Genesis games, either X-Men 2 Clone Wars or an obscure first-person shooter called Zero Tolerance. Speaking of the Sega Genesis, thanks for calling attention to the tin can sound it puts out. I can't unhear that now. See, now we we've done some good in the world actually. Lastly, would you guys ever consider further discussing newer games that are modeled after older games? Sonic Mania and Streets of Rage are good examples, but I'd love to hear you discuss Metro Metroidvania games such as Guacamelee or Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, or perhaps even Spelunky, Stardew Valley, or Octopath Traveler. While these games are not modern entries from retro franchises, they're still stylistic and spiritual successors. I've really come to appreciate the nostalgia-driven efforts in recent years to reimagine or recreate new games that resemble older games and styles. Anyway, enough for me. You guys have a great product. Keep up the good work. You've got a PS there, and I also mentioned that to Jeremy earlier about Fantasy Star. 
uh, I he he looked at that and he will he will let you know. Yeah, so the the PS about Fantasy Star was that you couldn't get all the episodes to load. So the first episode of the Fantasy Star was on our main feed uh, for everybody to try to get them to be interested in the the Patreon feed. The Patreon feed should have two, three, and four. Uh, your your letter mentioned that you were having problems with iTunes. I also use iTunes for my main podcast player, and I just tested them all today to make sure they are all still there. If you're getting errors, I highly recommend either playing them directly off Patreon, trying another podcast program, um, or just got added to Stitcher. That's one you can try to do, or, or Podbean has their own app. You could use that. Uh, essentially, iTunes, while I love it because I use it for everything, the, I, the Apple podcast player sometimes will disconnect from a feed and then take for me, it took several months to connect to some of the shows I really like after it disconnected, and it appears to be, based on just some searches, a common problem with Apple Podcasts, so take that for what it's worth, but I did test them. They're all still there. All four episodes are there. One is on the main feed. Two, three, and four are on the bonus feed. As far as, as your question about Mortal Kombat, it's not that fighting games are frowned upon. It's that I, and I take full credit for this, decided that a fighting game month was a good idea, and it turns out it's not. Because covering four fighting games in one month meant we burned ourselves out on fighting games, because there's not a lot to say about the mechanics of fighting games without being extremely detailed. And I am the worst possible person to talk about fighting games. I'm bad at them. I like them, but I'm very bad at them. And so for me, a lot of them, even the ones that take, you know, even the ones that a lot of people think are button mashers, uh, to me, are extreme button mashers. Like, I button mash for every fighting game. I button mash for Street Fighter. Uh, I can talk to you about why I like characters and why they look cool and their backgrounds and the story that comes up. Great. But the mechanics of a fighting game, I'm never going to be able to talk about in a, in a smart and interesting manner. We learned that during fighting game month. So it's not that we'll never talk about them. It's that we are not the right people to talk about fighting games and the level of detail that it requires to make it more than just talking about the characters and the backgrounds. That said, we're not opposed to doing more. We just will never do a fighting game month ever again. You mentioned Zero Tolerance. I am one of the few people that, I guess, played Zero Tolerance. I thought it was interesting. I have not tried to play it recently, so I'm sure it has not aged very well. But it is one of the first, you know, Genesis 16-bit first-person uh, shooter games that I had ever played and I thought it was fairly competent so I, I would love to try it again sometime that's a great option uh, but yes uh, it, it's not that we won't play fighting games it's that I personally and I, I won't talk for uh, Jeremy and Billy but I personally am incapable of talking about fighting games in any way that's useful I will say as much as we dislike talking about fighting games uh, Eric Heights was probably one of my favorite shows that we've ever done uh, that that is just a such a ridiculous fucking game that I, I really did enjoy that one. Mortal Kombat trilogy we have not done a Mortal Kombat on on this show. Somehow, that could be fun, uh, and just in a general way of talking about Mortal Kombat and and Mortal Kombat trilogy for the PlayStation is actually a really interesting game. You know, it was uh, one of those things that I was it exclusive to the PlayStation. I don't know if it actually came out for the Saturn or not, but that was a, a really neat thing of just add you know it's like the developers just kind of went crazy and added all everything into one game and i always thought that was super cool and it was incredibly broken but it was also very fun to play just with your friends and stuff like that so i could be up for that um but yeah the, like um i don't know the the newer stuff like guacamelee um even like uh what's what's the one what's the black and white one that everybody likes hollow knight hollow knight uh, I mean, that would 
that could be fun. Uh, but it would probably be safe for like a bonus show because, you know, we're kind of setting our ways here in the main feed, at least uh, with covering just retro games. But yeah, I could, I could, you know, that could be fun. I, I don't know if you'd be up for doing anything like that in the future, but it's kind of hard for to have a retro show, but yet also talking about new games as well, because that, that then branches us out into a, a thing that we don't generally do. Well, and it, it's kind of what the first 10 minutes or so of every show is, right? It's us talking about what we've played recently. We've talked about things like Hollow Knight. We haven't talked about Guacamelee because that came out before we started this podcast, but that's what I've played. I mean, a lot of these, uh, you know, fake retro games uh, is how I kind of think of them, are, are some of my favorite games to play. I love the Shantae games. They're very good fake retro games. Uh, Hollow Knight, uh, which you just mentioned, uh, Shovel Knight, like all those games are amazing. We've talked about them. If you go back and play from the beginning of the, the, the show or the first 10 minutes or so of each episode, you'll hear about a lot of those games. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's hard to, to branch out and not stay a retro podcast if you're going to talk about those games, especially because it's not like, you know, we're talking about retro games. We have uh, several thousand games still to go through before we've run out of games to talk about. Uh, but that said, I, especially as a, as a bonus or, you know, if, as a patron, if you wanted to request us to cover a game like Hollow Knight, sure, we'll, we'll gladly do it, uh, you know, as a patron request. But but bonus shows are probably the best way for us to cover that sort of thing. But I would, I would say it has to be a rare incident. You know, if you go back to the very, like, very beginning of the show, I think episode 10, we covered the first Super Mario Maker, right? That was new at the time, but it was definitely retro because you can make classic Marios. We're not opposed to doing that, but it has to be a special case uh, because, again, we are focused on retro gaming and kind of really discussing retro games, not new games that look retro. Uh, that said, I love those kind of games. If you look at my you know, PlayStation 4 library, it's mostly those kind of games, to be honest. Uh, and that's great. I love them. But, yeah, we're going to probably stay focused on on true retro games uh, until we run low. Uh, but yes, thank you, Ben, for writing in. Uh, thank you for subscribing. Uh, hopefully we will be around for much longer doing these retro games. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll, if we get tired of doing some of this stuff, we might branch out here and there. Uh, but next up is Keith S. And Keith, I'm not going to read your email, uh, actually, because it's a, recommend <laughs> it's a recommendation to Billy. So I, I've got it here, but I'm going to save it for when he's here. Okay. okay. So it's right. not that we've forgotten you. Um, or you've offended us in some way. It's just a, we can't answer for Billy. So hopefully next episode he will be here and I will have your question. So next up from that, we've got Scarcrow. He's back and he's wanting to know about Black Friday. I don't know when this episode will air, but are you guys looking forward to something or bought something for Black Friday? Anyway, stay awesome and take care. Uh, I did. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I did. Uh, I picked up a few things I didn't plan on buying because they were on sale. Uh, I always, I, I wasn't looking for anything new, but it was, I always like to see what shows up on sale. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I don't want to say I'm a big fan of sales, but there's always things that show up on sale. It's like, oh, I didn't even know that was there. And now that it's, you know, 20% off, I'm going to buy it. But especially if it's a higher percentage, then I'm, I'm 100% down. So I bought on the Switch Raiden 5, which I'm a big top-down shooter fan. I suck at all of them less than I do at fighting games, but I'm still not very good at them. But I love them, and I was looking for this for a while on PlayStation 4 or something else because it is kind of one of the, like, quintessential top-down shooters, and it was half off, and I love it. And it's got this weird, like, multiplayer component where you're not playing with other people, but it's almost like every time you hit a landmark, like, it's like, oh, I, I hit 50 ships. It uh, announces to everybody that's on the network that you've killed 50 ships and they can cheer you. And that earns like a meter at the bottom. Of the it's, it's pointless stuff. But I love that it's there. And it's actually really, really solid top-down classic arcade 2D shooter. So I picked that up. I also grabbed on the PlayStation 4 uh, 
Persona 5 Royal, which I've been waiting on forever. I love Persona 5. It's not that I didn't want to buy Royal. I just hadn't. And it was 50% off, so I grabbed that. And I finally picked up uh, the Jedi Fallen Order, the, the Star Wars game that's kind of a Souls-like. And it is a Souls-like. I would not say it is a Souls game. It takes a lot of the concepts of Souls that make them, the way the levels all attach together, really interesting. And the way that it's, it's kind of a 3D Metroidvania with some, the way it unlocks those things is different than you would say a Metroid is. Either way, I think it has a lot of the stuff that makes a Souls game, but it's not that hard at all. Even on a hard difficulty, I'm not having a lot of problems with it. But I, I'm a big Star Wars guy, and this is one of the best Star Wars games I've played in a long time. So I grab those three things as my you know, like impulse Black Friday buys. But I always like to see, especially in the digital, digital sales, what are they really pushing out? Because there's been some amazing sales over the years on, on this weekend. Yeah, I, I obviously didn't really go out anywhere for Black Friday um, that's, that, that's never really been my thing, even in like pre COVID days, it's, it's, I've never really enjoyed just like busting my way through, you know, stores and, and getting, getting at things. I have worked at stores during on black Friday. Oh yeah. Me too. And, miserable. And yeah, miserable. And maybe that's why I don't ever want to do that. But, uh, this, I generally kind of buy online stuff. And this year, I think as far as video game purchases, I grabbed last of us part two. I think it was on sale for like 30 bucks. I grabbed uh, ghost of Shishima. I, th- both of those I haven't played yet. And what else did I grab? I feel like I I, I grabbed a, a Spyro, uh, the, the remake of that. I I, th- I didn't have that on, on PS4, so I grabbed that. But yeah, not too much really going on this year. I expected more, but maybe because there's new consoles launching, it just there wasn't much uh, on sale. Like I, I saw the, um, oh, what's, uh, the new Watch Dogs. Like literally came out like three weeks ago and it was on sale for 40 bucks, which just makes me realize I should never buy anything new ever again because of just how, how quickly everything goes on sale these days. So I'm expecting a lot of this stuff that just released during Christmas, the Christmas sale that's obviously going to happen. Uh, <laughs> all of that stuff is going to be $20 off the, the stuff that wasn't $20 off this time, or it's going to be even cheaper. So I'm going to wait and see what happens then. So there's a lot of games I'd actually like to get right now. Uh, But, you know, we'll see because this stuff goes on sale so damn quick. But, yeah, I I don't know. Black Friday has never been that big of a deal to me, uh, and it will probably continue to be not that big of a deal as long as we can't actually go outside. Um, Anyway, thank you for writing in, Scarcrow. And next up is from Mark, and he's wanting to talk about the legacy of Mega Man 5. Gentlemen, I was excited when you announced that you were reviewing Mega Man 5 as it encouraged me to finally play it and get it and get it off the backlog in anticipation of the review. I really enjoyed the game and I'm glad I played it. As I was playing it, I found myself making many of the same comparisons you guys did during the review, constantly comparing it to every aspect of the game. Wait, constantly comparing every aspect of the game to other Mega Man games I've already played. After pondering these comparisons for, for some time, I came to the conclusion that I think if Mega Man 5 was the only Mega Man game on the NES, it would probably be considered one of the best games on the system by most people. The only reason I think this game stays off most people's games list is because it's viewed in comparison with others in the series, and we often see Mega Man 2 or Mega Man 3 making these, those lists. Would you agree? And are there any other games out there that might have gotten more credit if it wasn't always compared with other games in the same series? I mean, I agree. I think we talk, kind of talked about that. I think if Mega Man 5 would have come out earlier, it would have been huge. 
it, it's hard because how do you not compare it to the previous Mega Mans? But also, Mega Man 5 came out after the next generation had already launched, and people were sick of Mega Mans that came out every year. And and honestly, like 4 was kind of a bummer compared to 3. Uh, and and I, for my case, I hadn't played 5 until I played... I mean, more recently, all of them in order. I played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 in the first collection back-to-back. So I hadn't really played 5 before then. And even at that time, I was like, man, five's a lot better than 4, and it really flows really well. I think if it would have come out earlier, it would have been mind-blowing. But it's hard to say that because would it have existed without those previous four games? So, you know, I, I think we had the same thoughts when we were working on it. As far as other games in, in series, it's hard because Mega Man's kind of the extreme example of that. Like, there are, the six original Mega Man games on the NES are, if you aren't familiar with the games and you're just kind of looking at them on paper, they all look the same. They all, they all look like the same kind of game. If you explain the concepts and the mechanics of the games, generally they all kind of fit in the same mold. There's not many games that had that, that level of repeats on one console, right? So... I'm trying to think of a game that had a bunch of games in in the Nintendo, but or I'm trying to think of a series that had a bunch of games on the Nintendo, but Mega Man really is the extreme. So, I mean, the other things that would be like that are like sports games, where every year there's a different version of Madden or a different version of, of NBA Live or something that would have more versions of of the same game essentially than than Mega Man. Mega Man really is the extreme. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a game where I was like, yeah, you know the. If there was the original, then part two or part three would be known as the best and the others weren't. I mean, you know, Castlevania's one, but I think everyone kind of really likes Castlevania 1 and 3 on the NES. If you like Castlevania at all, no one's out there bad-mouthing Castlevania 3. Uh, I mean, everyone kind of talks bad about 2, and but for valid reasons. Like, 2 is so different and so poorly explained in in the game that it's it's kind of... In, I don't want to say intentionally. It, uh, it's kind of a game that deserves the reputation it has. I, I cannot think of a, a better example of a game that that would have been bigger had it not been attached to these other games in the same series than Mega Man 5. Okay, I got a question. I got my answers, but I got a question for you. Do you think Spirit Tracks would be good on its own if it was disconnected from the Zelda series. So here's the thing. I hated Spirit Tracks knowing <laughs> it was connected to the Zelda anyway. So I've said it many times that there are games that would have been better had they not had the name attached. Uh, I think Spirit Tracks is one of those examples where if it didn't say Legend of Zelda, it would be the worst game I've ever played on the DS. I hate Spirit Tracks. I hate it. I hate it so much. I hate both the DS games for Zelda. I didn't think... Um, the Phantom Hourglass is very good either. I don't I don't hate Phantom Hourglass, but I didn't care for it. But Spirit Tracks was, after the very beginning, not enjoyable to play, not enjoyable to finish, and I will never, ever play it again. I, I think that's 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 fair. I, I was, you know, you always mention that you just can't stand Spirit Tracks, and I was never, I, I never, under, if, if it was like something that, because you really like Zelda, it's a bad Zelda game, or if it's just a bad game all, all around. I don't like touch control games. And on the DS, it's like the touch control was a gimmick. It wasn't even like it was enjoyable. I mean, you know, if it's, if it's a uh, some kind of graphic adventure or something where you're supposed to write, sure, sure, use that touchpad. Find a way to make it good. I love that. I love when you use a, a, a weird – like the Wii U is, is fairly big gimmicky on most of their games. However, a game like Zombie U where you use that touchpad as your interface, but also you can use it like as a scanner and hold it up and push it around. The, like, that's amazing. I love that. It's not needed because they make Zombie U, but it's not called Zombie U on the PlayStation. It's the same goddamn game. You can play it without that. You don't need it. It's just a neat gimmick where 
Spirit Tracks, and, and also Phantom Hourglass, required that touch control to fight. That sucks. That should never have happened. That's miserable. But I, I guess as far as what I can think of, for me, it would be Resident Evil 3. I, I think Resident Evil 1 and 2 were such groundbreaking games that Resident Evil 3 has always been panned as like the it's it's still good but it, you know it was that that kind of third game lull that everyone's just like ah you know and i think that actually just happened again with the remake release you know we just we just got off that amazing resident evil 2 release and then resident evil 3 remake came along and it literally got the same reception as resident evil 3 back on the playstation and I've always really enjoyed Resident Evil 3, and I always thought that if it was disconnected from Resident Evil, because it's a much faster-paced zombie game than what the the previous two were, like this is a, it's more of an action game than it ever was, like a, you know, the adventure puzzle games that the first two were, and the exploration, like this is a much more go, 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 you know, action kind of game. So I think if maybe that was something on its own, I think that would have been a much better or well-received game than, than it ever was being in the resident evil series. Uh, the only other things I can think of would be a variety of final fantasy games. Again, if final fantasy eight was disconnected from the final fantasy series, it would still suck. It would still suck, but at least it would be something that was not, not Final Fantasy and not in the Final Fantasy series. So you couldn't just be like, oh, this is the worst Final Fantasy. If you could just make that its own game and you'd be like, well, that's kind of a neat idea. You know, it, they, they did their best. And so I think that would maybe be a little bit less hated than it would, you know, for being what it is these days. I But, uh, but besides that, I, I really can't think of too much. But that's a really good question. Mark, uh, thank you for writing in. Uh, next question is from Mason, a.k.a. K. I'm not going to read your question either. Because it's about Taco Bell breakfast food, and this is something that I know Billy holds uh, very near and dear to his heart. So I'm going to save that one uh, for the next time he is there. So we do have your question. I will torture him with that later. Uh, but our final question is going to come from Late to Gaming, and he's wanting to know about long-running game series. Hey guys, hope the holiday season is treating you well. Since the three of you have been doing this podcast for some time, maybe this will be tough to answer, but I'm, wonder but I'm wondering what well-known, long-running game series you have never played. If there isn't one, then what's the best-known, most popular retro game you've never played? For me, it's Final Fantasy. I love Dragon Quest, but for whatever reason, I've never actually tried Final Fantasy as a kid, and as an adult, just never bothered jumping into the series. As always, thanks for putting on a great show and taking the time to answer listener questions. For me, the only game I haven't... I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's others, but the one that comes to the, the top of my head, because I think they're on five or six now, uh, I've never played either an Assassin's Creed game or a Devil May Cry game. I've never played either one. They're not extremely old. I mean, I guess, depending on your age... They might be, but to me, they're not extremely old. I've never played any of those games, and I even have Devil May Cry 1 sitting here. I got it from my brother. I've never started it. Uh, I'm going to be the absolute opposite uh, late to gaming. I have never played any Dragon Quest games. I've always played Final Fantasy games, but that is a series that I have never gotten into, and I always hear that it is as old school as old school can get as far as like Japanese role-playing games go. And it seems like they have never changed that formula around. I know you play some Dragon Quest games, Jeremy. Is that is that still true? It is, yes. That is a very accurate statement. Unlike Final Fantasy that changes everything about their games in between each game, uh, Dragon Quest is essentially the same game it was back in 
you know, the original Dragon Warrior for me in the U.S. Uh, as as the first Dragon Warrior. When I play Dragon Warrior, it's 11 on the Switch. It is, it looks pretty, but it's the same exact kind of game. It's turn-based battle. It has the same kind of enemies. It's got some improvements, but not to the scale that each game changes that Final Fantasy would be. And that's very daunting to me. So I've, I've kind of stayed away from Dragon Quest games all these years. Even though everyone says, like, you know, you, you got to try it. You'll really get into it. You just got to give it time to to get its hooks into you. And I can I can probably believe that. But, like, also I see the uh, the completion time on a lot of those going up into, like, the, the 150 hours to 200 hours and stuff like that. So I kind of want to try the, the complete version of the latest one that's going to come out on the PS4 here pretty soon. I think that seems kind of interesting. I've wanted to try it, but... I, again, it's just one of those games that I'm just always kind of scared to get into because I don't know if I've got the time or patience to get into that old of a school, old of a school JRPG these days. I, I was gonna say I, I'd give you a recommendation if you really want to try one. Uh, the most current Dragon Dragon Quest you can download a demo on the Switch that's long. I mean, I play that demo for almost 20 hours, free. Try it. If you don't like it, you're not gonna like the game because I guarantee you. Even though yes, it does add on to abilities. That's the game. If you don't like the first hour, you're not going to like it. I, I I may give that a try then because it's it's one of those games I always see and I've actually bought a few over the years, but I've just literally never played them. It's they've always kind of been stuck in my backlog, and every time I see them, I just kind of give them that glare, just like oh, I know what you're going to be, but uh, I never give them a chance. So maybe here in the future, I will give it a chance and get back to you. Uh, but thanks to all of you for writing in. Uh, that's going to do it for questions this week. Again, for the uh, couple of people that I you got questions specifically for Billy or that would uh, I would enjoy torturing him with, we're going to read that next time. Uh, but again, if you got questions to, to for, for us to answer, go to Retrovania.net, the most non-updated website on the Internet. Uh, <laughs> just uh, scroll down past all the really old stuff that I don't update. There's still that question form there. It's still as fresh as ever. Uh, write in, just uh, fill that out, send it in to us, and we will read it right here uh, as long as it's not for Billy. <laughs> and we may, we'll may save those for, if it is a question for Billy, we'll save it for him when, he, when he's here for the podcast. And again, thank you, John B., for recommending this game, Clash of Demon Head for the Nintendo. It was a lot of fun. And uh, per his request, I did check out Nostalgia Podcast, N-E-S-Talgia. Uh, they were a bunch of guys that played through all the Nintendo games. The last couple episodes were on Platoon and Paperboy. Uh, very good. Very good podcast. I recommend it. Go check them out. But we will be back uh, with two bonus shows and a final episode for the holiday season. And we will see you next time.